Ladies and gentlemen, it is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. That name's got a ring to it like a wedding vow. Oh, I'm so glad to be doing this again. Dude, nice back to back nights. Today's guest, Mark Stith. You are episode 50. I'm 50? You're 50. That's awesome. Yeah, That's we, great, we made it there. I think you were like episode four, and then we lost that episode, and so you're back now. It's been a minute. It has been a minute. Yeah, oh, yeah. man. So glad to have you here with us. Sounds Ladies right. and gentlemen, this is the Ghost Lights podcast. Our uh, opening intro and our outro music is the same as it will ever be, at least for the moment. War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Please go out to iTunes or Spotify and download. Cop that joint. Please do it ASAP. Um, today's unofficial sponsor is uh, Bear Creek Distillery. They have a little bourbon. <laughs> that they make off of uh, a coma in downtown Denver, and it's tasty. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers. Mm. Mark, how are you doing in this new world? What new world are you talking about? Well, this world of essential staying, essentially staying in our homes all the time, oh. going out for the essentials. That world. I'm tired of that world, man. Yeah. Um, you know what, dude, I'm doing okay. Um, it's, you know, what's, what's left to be said about it that, that hasn't already been said by people that are way more articulate than me, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's good. There's good days. There's bad days. Um, you know, uh, but you can't complain if you if you don't have the Rona, you know, you can't really complain. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's everything else is just a minor inconvenience as long as, uh, me or the people that I care about aren't on a ventilator or, struggling for the life in the hospital someplace, you know, it's, it's hard, hard to complain too much. Absolutely. No, that's yeah. a great point. It's uh, I, I think I was talking to a friend uh, on the phone earlier today and we were talking about just perspective in and of itself, um, how it's been shifted through yeah. all this. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful that, I mean, at, at least for myself, I can't speak for, you know, the rest of the world that's having to go through this, um, that, the things that I did take for granted that I now use to occupy my, my brain. So I don't freak out is that it will be things that I don't take for granted anymore. Mm. Like I, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, go Yeah. I, that's, that's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I mean, when, when this first started, I will be the first to admit that I, I was, I started drinking at five o'clock because I can go to bed <laughs> faster. Right. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, that's something. Do I do I necessarily want to advertise that? Not necessarily, because it's not something I'm, prou I'm proud of. And I've definitely, over the course of this this lockdown situation, have had some bad nights. Yeah. And where I've I've definitely had too much. And, and luckily, I didn't do anything stupid outside of dropping a water bottle on the floor and waking up my downstairs neighbors, which was you know bad enough. That's or not texting Andrew Ulenhop what or is top five songs that make him yearn for more. That's kind of <laughs> kind of the worst that I could do. <laughs> yeah, right. That's awesome. Yeah, oh, man, that's that's not too terrible of an offense, I would, mm. I would um, Yeah, there's two ways this thing can go, man, from what I've heard. Like, everybody either becomes, like, a raging alcoholic or gets in, like, fucking, like, prison fit shape, right? Like, yeah. Um, I, I commute probably in my old life um, probably two, two and a half hours a day. And it's nice to have that time back, man. It really is. Yeah. It really Definitely. Is. Yeah. How are you? How are you feeling it? Um, uh, actually, I'm working out twice a day. <laughs> nice. Are you getting prison jacked? Uh, not prison jacked. It's I got a few more weeks before I'm pr at prison jacked, but I take some days off too. But it's just um, 
and it's not just working out. I, I, I try to exercise and I try to train, but um, I eat dinner with my wife like most nights now. And that was like, that never happened before. Oh man. Um, I get to spend more time with my dogs. So we play, play more with the dogs. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think I would like to think that I'm, I'm using that time um, mm -hmm. with, uh, with some good, uh, good, good uh, time with things that and people that I care about. Are you a good cook, Mark? I'm a decent cook. I can hold my own. I have a few go-to recipes and then, you know, and I can also kind of make stuff up from, from what's available in the pantry. Hmm. Yeah. What are your top four um, dishes? Uh, well, being from Kansas city, um, definitely like to fire up the smoker and, and do some Q. Um, I like a, I do, I make this thing, I make a, a mean chicken shawarma. Oh, so yeah, I kind of like that. Um, what else? Um, just the standard stuff like steaks, um, mm -hmm. Chicken noodle soup. I have a good chicken noodle soup recipe. And then um, every New Year's Day, there's a there's a thing called Hoppin' John. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's uh, it's um, um, essentially black eyed peas mm. and you mix it with like sausage and ham hocks and things like that. And oh yeah, and rice. It's a very southern thing. Yeah. It's supposed to bring you good fortune throughout the New Year. Um, so I've got a family recipe that I use for a year for that. My mom so. makes uh, makes red beans and rice. Similar recipe: ham hocks, so like spicy sausage on the same day. Good shit, man. Yeah, it is. It's very tasty. Yeah. 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 The second the second you explained what it was beyond the name, I was like, oh shit. Nostalgia. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, it tastes so good. Such great comfort food. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it's it's I'm I'm glad that you're you're doing those things, like re reconnecting. It's funny how something like this can be like rewarding on that family level. Yeah, I think, you know, if there is any good to come out of this, and again, I, I, I say this, you know, with an immediate caveat that I'm certainly not making light of the fact that, you know, 80,000 people have lost their lives. Um, due to the, but if there is some good that's that can come out of this, I think it's um, reconnecting with family. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, our, our capacity, I think, and our desire to express to the ones that we care about our love and, and our care checking in with people i think that's going to be sort of a, a good sort of ancillary um thing that's come out of this yeah um and also frankly i mean for introverts like this is heaven right like yeah <laughs> i mean i'm an i'm an i think it's an am ambivert is that what it's called like somebody yeah. that has an extrovert and introvert yeah you and, can play both sides yeah and actually i always thought i was a closet introvert but i do miss i do miss connections with people and do miss talking to people i just miss interesting conversations you know Totally. And, uh, but I will say that the introvert side of me never really got that much love. Um, so I seemed like I was always like going someplace or doing something. So the introvert in me now is like cool and this is, is appreciating the time, but is also kind of sick of the shit. Mm -hmm. So, oh, yeah. yeah, no, it was, it's, it's every, I was, uh, I have an Instagram account for my, the, the teacher persona that I have at my school. And um, I, it's not it's not popping off and not getting a lot of likes. And I, I reached out in a live story like, "Ask Mr. G anything, but keep it clean." That's cool. And one of the one of the kids was asking me like how I was handling the lockdown. I was like, "That's a great question to ask." And I and I was like, "Well, I could tell him I'm doing fine, and I'm doing theater, or I could tell him that I am trying to fill my downtime with as much productive things as I possibly can." And that is ex extremely exhausting and it's exhausting in a completely different way. Like it's yeah. not like I'm working a nine to five and then I've got rehearsal afterwards. Cause that, that was 
like the normal and that was fun for me. Like I felt rejuvenated after a rehearsal, especially if I, you know, got to make some choices and, and failures and then pick myself up and redo the scene again with a new choice, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now it's just kind of like, I have, I have nothing but good days, but I have some really bad moments. Yeah. That is the best way to describe it. Like, and then I'm tired of having those bad moments. Yeah. Yeah. There's this general malaise, I think that sinks in and you kind of start to spiral down in that stuff. I, especially when you can't sleep, there's been a few nights where I've been, you know, up at two o'clock in the morning, whatever, thinking about just, you know, whatever, right. We've all been there. And, and yeah, I mean, everything is just so magnified at that time and everything seems so, so much more dire and, um, and yeah, and you just start to feel guilty about people that you haven't checked in with and people that, you know, that, that, you know, that you owe a, an email or a call to and why don't you and just like all of these things become huge right and mm. it's yeah it's it sucks to be in that headspace and then not being able to like you know get up in the morning and leave and, and do anything about it you're kind of you're kind of prisoner in that regard yeah, yeah. yeah the mental i think the mental health sort of aspects of this that are going to come to light i think well after we're out of this are are probably going to be a pretty big story yeah oh yeah I, there's going to be there's going to be post-traumatic stress from this yeah like there's, I mean, I, I am so thankful that my mother's retired. She was a hospice nurse for 20 plus years. And like, I couldn't imagine, I used to work for the hospice. Like I, I would be freaking out every day going to work. And yeah. I don't know, like, I mean, a howl, that's right. fun every once in a while. But I mean, this, like, I, I, I got sucked into this. Like, it, what does that do? What does that do? Yeah. You know? What does that do? And so, like, uh, I, I try to I try to shut out that question in my brain. But I mean, still, like, those people are working their asses off, and there's going to come a time where they're just going to be hit with the fact, like, hit with the reality of what they did for. I mean, right now we're at what three months, maybe. Yeah. So yeah, I think I mean, anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I read a story or saw something on on, on someplace that um, a, a nurse from Arkansas left and went to New York to help, you know, to be on the front lines of that. And she got paid, no joke, like $13,000 a week. Like they were just, you know, I don't know if you remember when Cuomo went on the news and just like, help, please, mm -hmm. anybody come, come help us. Which is, you know, I, you know, un, unprecedented in of itself. But uh, the people that traveled and went across country and left their families to go to the front lines of this thing. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Cheers to them, right? I mean, that's, oh, yeah. it takes a lot, a lot of stones. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of stones, I'm going to do a not so subtle segue into something a little more cheery. If you talk but, about the Rolling Stones right now, I'm I'm hanging up. No, no, I, I, but I am going to talk about music. What are you listening to? Uh, right now, nothing. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm on the uh, call with you. Well, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> when you when you've decided to like get off this, like what are you, what like what are like are you listening to music? Because I know music is big for you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's really funny. I'm listening, not funny, haha, but just um, my my relationship with the Rage Against the Machine is really based uh, a lot on what's happening in the world. Um, so Rage Against the Machine has been super, super um, in heavy rotation on my playlist. Um, nice. Late. Um, I listen to a lot of things, though, dude. Um, I saw um, a Saturday Night Live short. I think it's what they ended their season on this past week, and it had uh, Debussy's Claire de Lune. And it was a video montage of all of the cast members like dreaming about life yeah. after eating street pizza and shit like that. 
Mm-hmm. And so I got on this like r- Russian composer piano kick for a while. I was listening to Rachmaninoff and Nikolai Medner and just, you know, all of these like weird. So anyway, it's just, it's kind of what I choose to listen to is, is sort of stream of consciousness, consciousness at times. But um, yeah. That's great. I mean, yeah. How about you, man? What are you listening to? What am I listening to? Yeah, oh, yeah. man. Let's, uh, let, let me count the ways. I'm still, st- I will forever be stuck on this, excuse me, this rapper and R&B singer known as Black. Um, he, his name is written with a lowercase six. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, um, so to some people, it looks like six lack. Um, he's got some great, um, what I like to call emo rap music. <laughs> so okay. I mean, Okay. That's that's kind of where I where I am a lot of the time. Um, Peter Marullo, good friend of ours, he hit me to a guy named I think it's Marcus King. Okay. And I play, um, yeah, Marcus King. He's got this album out right now called El Dorado, and it uh, it slaps. It's like I don't know. It to me it feels like the music my mom would play on the radio when we were driving back from visiting my ex stepdad. Just late nights in fucking vacaville california listening to like smooth jazz country combos and smooth jazz (laughs) yeah and it's just i mean and that and that's not doing marcus king justice but like there are a couple of songs i'm like oh shit i i've heard songs like this before there's a song that i just love that i play over and over again um i'm I'm sorry I'm, i'm pausing again to find it because just so i can give you the name sure Friend, fr- friends of at home, the ghosties. It is uh, the song um, S- Sweet Morona. Yeah. Sweet Morona. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet Mariona. That's oh, it. Sweet Mariona. Sweet Mariona. I definitely pronounced it wrong. And that, that song gets me every time. There's a song called No Pain or yeah, Beautiful Stranger. Like all these things. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. The, wow. The lonely, cool. the lonely heart guy with the cool car and awesome guitar skills. Who's uh, who is this again? Say that name again. Marcus King. The album is El Dorado. He's, he reminds me of the Raiders Broncos punter. Oh, Marquette King. Marquette, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that guy. yeah, that's right. Uh, that guy was that guy was awesome. He was he was a breath of fresh air, and then quickly got drummed out of the league. I was gonna say, as awesome as maybe a punter can maybe be. That's I don't know. The bar's pretty low. It is pretty low. I mean, I think I think the top three punters of my life are Pat McAfee, um, Michael Vanderjack, and then Tom Tupa. Oh, uh, see, I don't know. I remember Tom Tupa, but I don't know those other two. Oh man, you don't. Oh, Vanderjack was a place kicker. Never mind. I just, was, I just love it that you have uh, favorite punters, a list yeah. of favorite punters that are obviously very accessible in your in your head. Well, it's I'm I'm a I'm a sports dork. I. Long, the football teams were my friends every Sunday, and I, think I went to church. What about church at Candlestick Park, baby? Gray guy, Craig. Gray guy, ah, he's just a name on a trophy now. He's the only punter that's in the NFL Hall of Fame. What are you talking about? <laughs> for for the time being, for the time being, Tom Tupa will get there. Bradley, not Bradley, Bradley Roby's um, dad um, was a punter. Ah, uh, okay. Rob. Robert Roy, I can't remember his name. He kicked for the Niners, and he was a great punter for like 25 years in the league. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Tom I mean, Tupa, you should start that hashtag trending. Tom Tupper to the Hall of Fame. Yes, Tom Tupper to the Hall of Fame. Fuck yes, I'm I'm all about that. How are how did you feel about the Kansas City Chiefs draft? 
Um, I, I mean, you know, it takes a day or two to, to like convince yourself that these are awesome picks. So I, I'm pretty much convinced they're awesome picks. There was Clyde Edwards, Hillel, Hillel, or, um, yeah. Hilaire. Hilaire. Thank you. I was no like, I was thinking about the guitarist for the Chili Peppers. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to be great. Um, I think he's going to be starting by, by the year's end and he runs complex passing, uh, route trees. That's great for Andy Reid's offense. So it's going to be good. By the way, Ghost Light podcast now a sports show. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Sorry, fam. <laughs> You're going to have to strap it and listen to this. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, uh, and again, I'm going to talk about, I, I could make up names right now. Nobody what I'm talking about, but the, the linebacker they got out of, um, uh, Mississippi state, um, Willie Gay. Um, mm. They got a they got a couple of late round cornerbacks. Um, yeah, I mean it's going to be good. They had five picks and they turned it into like six players. Um, yeah, it's not bad. They brought twenty of their twenty two starters back. So you know, yeah, I think we'll be okay. Good for them. They're going to lose to Baltimore though this year. Yeah, well, probably so. Yeah. Except not in the playoffs. Oh no, they'll lose to them in the playoffs. No, I don't think so. Okay, so right now, um, Dan, get the spreadsheet out. Um, I bet that the Baltimore Ravens eliminate the Chiefs from the playoffs. I will. I will put a a, a handle of Jamison on. Handle of Jamo. It's in the spreadsheet. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, yeah. man in the box. Uh huh. That's right. that's, a, that, that's that that's the God mic, everybody. Dan Rib. <laughs> you know, I have an uncashed Caesar's Palace bet on the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl that I need to like try to make it back to Vegas. Yeah, seriously, I remember you did that. Yeah, yeah. I also bought Dano. uh, And by the way, I think all football fans should thank uh, Dan for betting on the New England Patriots. His strategy was that every time he bets on a team, they lose and don't make it and aren't successful. And lo and behold, the Patriots did not make it. So, Yeah, my my bet was if they lose, I'm happy. If they win, I I get money to buy booze. So then I could drink away my sorrows. So it was good for me either way. Um, yeah, yeah. You didn't happen to put any money down on the Niners, did you? Nope. Just the Patriots. Okay, okay good. Good. <laughs> I would I would have hated to have called you Brutus. <laughs> you know what, Sammy? Those guys are gonna be back. They're way too good. They're way too young. They'll be they'll be back. Fingers are crossed. Yeah, I'm yeah. knocking on wood. I put I, I I take I am was probably one of the weirdest people to watch that entire football season. It's like Sheer joy every time we scored and every time we walked away with the W. Some pretty inflammatory Instagram stories, if I do say so myself. Um, I believe I, I said "fuck the Saints" after that that big that big victory in the regular season. But um, then I would also have these moments of just like sitting on the edge of my seat in sheer terror. And we we got that interception, and they all ran down to the end zone, and I was like, "Okay, we're gonna beat the Chiefs." Yeah. And then we couldn't do anything with you know what, it. You know what the turning point was is when um, John Lynch came down on the field and they started yeah. showing shots of Lynch down on the field. And then suddenly, just like that. If I'm an owner, I'm staying in the box. I'm staying in my comfortable seat until the finals zero takes off. I will meet you in the locker room. By the way, I was going to say earlier when I saw that hat that you were rocking, like the flat build hat that you got, you look like your boy Kyle Shanahan. I do. The only 40-year-old man that would be caught dead in a flat-brimmed hat. Hey, man, he he, <laughs> he grew up the same – like, me and him are almost the same age. We're the yeah, same but you're guy. Still, you're still in your 30s, though, right? Yeah, I am 36. I oh, am 36. so you got, you got a ways to go. He's like 41. 
There's a, I'm sorry. There's a point. There's a risk at all. There's a point. There's a point, and it happens almost overnight where you just gotta kind of age gracefully and make that choice. And well, I totally. I don't uh, think he's there yet. I'm waiting for you to turn thirty. Shit. <laughs> I'm fifty-one, bro. You look great. You don't look a day over fifteen. <laughs> you got the body of a preteen Swedish model. Oh boy, this is getting <laughs> uncomfortable right now. Um, yeah. See, I know you're lying to me because you said fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was. I. I went. Uh, I, I went. I over. Overemphasized my praise for how good you're doing. Yeah, you lowballed me. Yeah. How. Um. How was your role with Benchmark? Um. During all this going. Uh. Good. You know, Benchmark is is just like every other theater right now. That's yeah. that's struggling. I mean, everybody's struggling with the same things, and. Um. You know, we we the leadership team still continues to meet as a company, and we talk about things and and the only thing that you can do is really operate as if like as if there will be um you know the rest of your season at some point as if you are planning for next season mm-hmm. um I, I think that that's not only optimistic but practical because i think this will ultimately end and you should be prepared for whatever that post pandemic world looks like Absolutely. so yeah but i mean yeah the problems are real i mean um you know a lot of every theater is different some theaters rely more on on, on ticket sales and season ticket holders and concessions and some uh, get their revenue mostly from grants. Um, some get the revenue mostly from individual donors and sort of managing that portfolio um, is, is really challenging when none of those entities or groups really have a lot of money to dole out right now. And the thing is, and this is, I hate to put sort of an ap- apocalyptic spin on, you know, the arts post COVID, but I mean, if you look at those three revenue sources, um, and then you look at, especially say the, the state funded grants and local mm-hmm. local government funded grants generate a lot of their money that's, that goes into their budget through sales tax. And because everyone's staying at home right now, there's no commerce happening, there's no sales tax being generated. And so everybody, including higher ed inst- institutions to, um, um, you know, to uh, what's the Colorado roads, um, the Denver roads, whatever, um, whatever, they're the Denver roads, the CDOT, CDOT. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. No, nobody is being, <laughs> nobody is being funded right now. Right. And you know, it's going to take some time to recover from that. Like when the people come back, that's only going to be a third. There are long-term implications for this thing in terms of where arts organizations get their money that I think are going to be really problematic for maybe even a couple of years after this. Absolutely. And that's the downer part of it. So, you know, what do you do in response to that? Well, you, you know, it's, we could go back to the old days, right? It's two boards and a passion, you know, throw on some costumes and go in a public place. And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it could come to that too, but um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this, all this shakes out, but it's best organizations that are preparing for this right now. I think what it looks like on the other side of this, knowing that there will be long-term implications, I think are going to be the best coming out of this. Well, those who are staying active and trying to innovate along this 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 period of time, those are the ones that are going to have some type of plan going forward to make not just theater, but then just I mean, just any form of entertainment viable. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. No, I was. Just, I, was I, I just like there's like there's the um, the knee jerk reaction of once sports comes back, we'll start coming back because they were the ones that set the table for closing mm-hmm. things down. And I was like, no, it, it, it's going to be just no. Like they, they're doing it because they, they're, 
they're like a lot of other organizations afraid that they're losing money. Sure. So right now they're thinking about speed. They're not thinking about efficiency and they're not thinking about long-term. Agree. Uh, I mean, they, I mean, some of them are, but like I saw a thing today that there was like a coalition of NBA players that were like, we're going to be United front to bring back the season. And I'm like, this shouldn't be like, honestly, what should be up to the players is if they can do this in terms of their collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. You guys want to play because that's how you make your money. Absolutely. Yeah. But you also need to understand that you play a physical sport. You will be in close contact with people and tests in America ain't perfect. And they ha- are not, they have not been. Or plentiful unless or you're, plentiful. unless you're so celebrity. Yeah, you, think you, can, or, you can test yourselves before every game and then after every game and then, you're not going to encounter any problems. It's just short-sighted. Those who are trying to think about tomorrow and prepare as if it's going to happen, I think those, like the people who see like 2021 is our comeback time. Yeah, and I'm sorry, the risk is not the, the player's health and safety, right? I know that's their first consideration, but when you look at sort of the, you know, I don't want to be cheesy, but if you look at the greater good and your fellow human beings, like it's the people like I live in Castle Rock and there was that restaurant that made the freaking national news about, you know, people going in, no masks. And you read sort of subsequent chatter about that. And it's all about like, well, I made that choice and you can just make the choice not to go. And it's just like, you're missing the point. It's not that I'm worried about my own health. I'm worried about you going out, picking it up from someone who's asymptomatic right now, going home to your family, going home to your elderly parents, walking or going into Walmart or Home Depot or whatever the fuck it is that you go and giving it unknowingly to other people and perpetuating this problem. And it's so ironic to me that the people that are the biggest proponents of that, you know, government can't tell me what to do are also, and I hate to paint with broad strokes here, but all a lot of those people seem to be supportive of Donald Trump and his push to open up the, open up the economy again. Well, if you do it prematurely, it's going to extend the problem beyond what anyone can predict. And so the best thing for us right to do right now is to hunker down and just, I mean, I hate to be preachy right now, but um, I have pretty strong feelings about this. It's our responsibility as a, as a member of society to do the right thing, mask up if you have to go out, try to limit your engagements with other people and to practice social distancing. And I, I don't get the people that see that as an infringement on their rights. I just don't, I don't, I don't vibe with that. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, that's, I think one of the things that I, I've encountered or, or not necessarily encountered, um, but a, a mindset that I, I am, I am seeing presented to me from that, from my opposition politically. Um, I think that's the best way I can put it is uh they started seeing mild inconveniences to their way of life as infringements on their rights. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it's a mild, like, it's like, it's like waiting in line at a Starbucks. <laughs> just like, just, just do it. Yeah. Stop complaining about you didn't get there five minutes earlier, you know? Exactly. And, and in the problem is not with the people in front of you or the person behind the desk with the cash, you know, it's, your problem is with your timing it, it, it don't take it personally. Just show up. Yeah. And totally. chill and just get through it. Just, just get through it. That's all you got to do. I had a, I was at the grocery store um, just a couple of days ago buying like mother's day flowers and a card and some other odds and ends for the house. And this guy, and, and let me be the first to say, not necessarily an essential trip, but a trip I took nonetheless. Sure. Still gloved up, still masked up. I had a guy who was like right here the entire time, like two inches behind my head. 
And I kept looking at him for him to get the idea. Then he finally got it that he was in my space and was like, Oh, am I too close? I'm like, yeah, you're too close. <laughs> Back up. I wouldn't be looking at you if you were like six feet away. You had a pastrami sandwich for lunch. And yes, you were too close. I can, I can taste what you had for breakfast. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Just, yeah. I, I killed your joke. I ran it into the ground. I no, 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 that's okay. But yeah, I think the point is, is valid. And I, for the life of me, I don't understand you know, invoking the constitutional rights of like the constitutional rights to do what, yeah. you know, like you not being able to go bowling is not, a, is not a, 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 a safety that our forefathers put in the constitution to make sure you could fucking go bowling. You know, it's just, just be, just, just be, just put, just be in a responsible adult. I don't think it's asking too much. Not at all. And if you're, and if your argument is the constitution and you preach that it is my right to have the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. Yes, as long as that does not infringe on other people's pursuits of life, liberty, and happiness. Preach. It goes, like, duh. It, it doesn't revolve around you, Karen. <laughs> yeah, Karen. Yeah. Karen. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah, I know. So I don't. I forgot what the original question was, but I think it had yeah. something to do with theater. But, yeah, uh, I started on theater, and we and we we deviated on a tangent. What do you think theater looks like going forward? Oh, man. You know, I, I'm putting you in charge. You're the president of theater. Go. I'm the president of theater. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I would probably, and look, I know they, well, let me say this. I would, I, I would never hold it against anybody out there getting their grind on, you know, hustling to try to, to try to keep afloat with, um, with putting stuff online, doing Zoom stuff like that. Um, I can see play readings and I can see monologues and things like that. Um, but I'm not a fan of, of, of the online stuff, I have to be really honest. There's a, there's a video that floated around, um, I saw it, um, the artistic director of the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis yeah. uh, started talking about the reasons why they wouldn't be doing that. and. Um, I think it's some, it's all of what all of us who are in it are well aware of, which is that it is a shared experience with the audience. And that is a, that is a key part of the whole thing. It's the reciprocal nature of, of, of artist performings, audience reaction. We're sharing something we're, we're, we're being in the same space together and, and experiencing that together. Um, I love how he uh, he had mentioned that there are studies that when there's a group of people experiencing the same thing, that their heartbeats will start uh, matching up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, you know, are the very fucking rhythms that keep us alive. You know, we're able to plug in and share that with everybody else, you know, and that's, that's just such a beautiful, beautiful aspect of what we do. And it's, and it's, and it's not only beautiful, it's unique to what we do and to, to just sort of pretend, well, now nobody's pretending it doesn't exist, but I just, my big problem is the videos don't have that. And, and I, I love, as, as he said, seeing actors on camera, I love seeing uh, people work and, and, and work on their craft, but um, I think it loses a lot. So I, so anyway, to answer your original question, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm droning on here. Um, if, I were, if I were president of theater, the first thing I would do is say no more video performances unless it's a, a, a script, a play reading, which I've actually even done a couple during during the, the lockdown. Um, or if it's, you know, some sort of promotional thing or interview. But please no more. Please don't try to put what we do on stage on video. There's people that do that. They're they're called TV and film people. So, yeah. Don't get mad at uh, me directing American Buffalo in two weeks. 
Uh, uh. So the second thing, the second thing that I would do would be to um, <laughs> would be to um, I, I do I feel strongly that there's going to be financial challenges, like we weren't a challenged industry already in that regard, right? But I do think that they will be uh, amplified and bigger than they were before. And I think the only way that we're going to be able to do that is to band together. So I would like to see less competitiveness amongst theaters and more being done in the spirit of collaboration and helping each other out and bonding together to make sure that we can make it through all of this. And I don't know whether that's, you know, that manifests with group fundraising. Like I'd like to see maybe a bunch of the smaller theaters who, instead of reaching out to their individual email lists and their individual circle of influence and, and, and audience members, maybe bond together and say, we're going to split everything equally amongst all of these theaters. A story like that might get picked up by the Denver Post or whatever, right? And it could be more eyeballs. So if I think if more people sort of, um, more theaters choose to bond together and work together to offset some of this revenue loss, that um, I think that's probably the, I would something I would recommend. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, what about you? If you're the president of theater, what would you do, man? Well, I mean, I think something along those lines is something that I've always wanted is I'm the it is for a world that I've worked in for a long time that describes himself as a community theater community, right? Like it's the, we're, we're tight and we're all kind of trying to make our arts together. There is a lot of cutthroat competition that happens as is the thing with enterprise. People are trying to keep the theaters open, so they want to beat you to the punch on rights, and they want to beat the beat you to the punch on you know paying their actors and so on and so forth. And, right, right. And, and that's just natural. And then I'm not saying don't think I wouldn't want to change that, but I would definitely like. I mean, a, a coalition of theater companies like district wide, that like, like so you've got your avant garde theater, you know, new plays that are the immersive. Dub, devise productions in one theater and then you've got and not necessarily like you'd have to go so rigid in that i'm just saying like in the in the northwest side of colorado this is what they're doing um and these are like the the top four theater companies or something like that and we're we work together and we set seasons not necessarily to compete with each other but to complement each other so that we've got people who are seeing something new seeing something they remember, seeing something that, you know, that gets audience members to go to these theaters all the time. They're season, tickers, season ticket holders for all of those theaters as opposed to like just their one. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know how you do that unless you like create a single payer option. Yeah, yeah. Like 50 bucks makes you, makes one person a season ticket holder to these shows I, and 50 bucks is low i understand I don't yeah. ask me I, yeah. I got the theater so I, all i had to do was count my money leaving my checking account <laughs> but no you're right i think this this that's absolutely what's necessary it's going to be some sort of of bonding together uh we can't be individual people floating in the water we, we all got to group together and you know and, and try to find uh trying to find a way to make it through this. I, I mean, you're, and look, I work in the higher ed education industry and, and there's, there's already dire, dire stories of colleges uh, who are, are on the bottom, I'd say third of financial solvency 
and profitability who are already struggling that they're just like, we, we're shutting our doors. Like yeah. there aren't going to be any students that come back in the fall. And the aforementioned uh, the, the uh, state and, and federal funding that I was talking about for arts organizations, it's the same thing that goes to these colleges and universities for education. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a massive, massive loss in revenue that will ultimately, you know, it's an extinction level event. And so I do think that there, I, I don't think it's, 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 it's hyperbole to, stay, to say it like that. I think it's, you know, we're in very real danger of theaters not making it through this and losing a lot of those great smaller theaters that, that, that do such great work and that are able to challenge audiences and aren't obligated to produce things that are wildly popular but can produce new works and, and do experimental stuff and challenging stuff for audiences. And, and that could all go away because of this. And so I think people should be concerned. And, and I, I do think that we're going to need to work together there in yeah. some capacity to move through that. Well, I mean, we got to stop paying lip service to the idea that we are all in this together. It goes back to, I mean, it goes back to us, you know, talking about, you know, wearing your masks and staying six feet apart. Like it is not just for you to do that. It is for the people around you. And, and as artists, we create something that allows other people to better understand the choices that humanity makes. And if we are going to come back, we have to come back together. Yeah. We can't, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried there will be just, just the fumbling of like one theater company with a bigger budget coming back and, and in that moment, like shuttering the doors of neighboring theater companies because they just beat people to the punch and didn't bring them in on the ride. And maybe that's, maybe that's too far and brimstone. But it's just kind of one of those things that we need. It is a community theater. We got to do. We got to do this together. We got to do this together. Yeah. Got to. We've got to. You know, bring different schools of thoughts together, and we've got to bring in different ideas, and we and we've got to find out what is going to reach the community now. Is it? Do we come back with a season of um, easy swall easy to swallow comedies? Maybe. <laughs> maybe that's what we do. But, yeah. Maybe. Do we come back with a season of like, you know, challenging drama, all original work created in the time of COVID-19 or do we come up with a balanced system? Yeah. As you know, as a, as a, as a marketing person, I, I, I honestly think if, if I'm trying to anticipate the, the market mm-hmm. <laughs> on this is that if, if anybody's like the rest of us, I'm so sick of COVID stuff. I'm so sick of, of hearing things. I mean, if I get another, email or hear another commercial that starts with in these uncertain times. Like I just, I can't even, I can never going to use that expression ever again, but it's like, you know, everybody's trying to adjust and, and I, yeah, I lost my original point, but. Uh, hey, um, since you lost your original point, I'd just like to say uh, for our first commercial break of the night in these uncertain times. <laughs> I stopped listening. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It, it, did he he muted his mic? Dan, he muted his mic. <laughs> I kind of want to start using that to start every sentence that I say, like, hey, what, what do you want for lunch? I don't know. In these uncertain times, I think I like a ham sandwich. Yeah, yeah. No, in these uncertain times, the answer always is grilled cheese. Yeah, yeah. Grilled cheese. Cool. Um, you were You were going to do a commercial. Yeah, no, I, I was going to do a commercial. Um, ladies and gentlemen, in these uncertain times, Susan Ramsdorf Terry <laughs> is selling custom face masks for $10 a piece in various fabrics. 
Star Wars, Harry Potter, etc. If you don't already know her, shoot us an email at um, samgillstrap1 at gmail.com or theghostlights at outlook.com, and we'll pass your info along to Susan. She also has Avengers fabric, but she can order other fabrics as well. People can reach out to her as well on Facebook. Ladies and gentlemen, Susan Ramsdorf Terry, she's making masks for you. And mask that, yeah, mask that shit up. What are those email addresses again? Um, samgillstrap1 at gmail.com and theghostlights at outlook.com. Awesome. That's right. Hit us up and we'll make sure we forward you the information. Um, we are back um, after our first ever commercial break. Um, going back to what we we're talking about, like in terms of like what theater is going to look like um, or what we'd like to see changed. One of the things I'd also like to see changed um, as a, outside of more collaboration and unity is challenge, like challenging material. Hmm. Like yeah. I've, 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 I've been very fortunate um, in my duties as a member of the Catamounts to read a lot of plays and, and we're, we're covering a whole gamut of, of different genres um, or genre if you're Alex Trebek. And uh, <laughs> we, one of the things that's, it's not, not anything that they're not doing. It's uh, it's or the material isn't doing. It's just an idea that's been in my head is like, I think when we come back, I'll give you one softy and then the rest of it, I want to challenge you. Yeah. I think you, like it, I'm getting more and more excited about the, possibilities in terms of making people think and and making people change and i don't necessarily need to like get on a soapbox every time i perform or whatever um but it's just i just just see different perspectives yeah i've I've made a career off of um playing you know races outside of my own and that was good when it was when it was okay, I guess. And even now saying that it feels like it was never okay. Um, but we, I want to hear, I want to hear more stories. I want to hear more stories about the other side. I want to hear the same stories that I've been sold to me my entire life, but with different colors telling me those stories, different people, different races, different sexes telling me these stories. Like that's the thing that's important. One of the things that breeds complacency is seeing the same types of people do the same things over and over and over again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think you hit on something there. I would say maybe, like you said, maybe throw them a toss them a one, uh, a softy, you know, to kind of get everybody kind of back. Yeah, everyone yeah. gets one Fox News question to President Trump, and then afterwards, it's all hardball with Chris. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, I think you're. I think you're right. I think, and I think, and again, talking about sort of finding the, any positivity that's that's going to come from this. I think it's. I think, as in times of of as in most difficult times, I think there's going to be a lot of great art that comes from this. I think there's going to be a lot of reflection about. Um, you know, things like the human condition and what we share and how we're, how we're, how we're all, you know, related by certain things. Um, and, and hopefully that, you know, that can sort of put a button on this whole thing and allow people to process and move through this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think that there's going to be a time where we're going to need to really process this and, and, yeah. and, and try to move through it. Um, yeah. And we can't, we can't process this necessarily on our own. I mean, the great part about theater, right? I mean, so a lot of times we hold the light up to that shit and, 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 and lead people through that. So, mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, I think I, hopefully theater, hopefully we come back and it's going to be awesome. And we, you know, people are going to come back in droves and, and there's going to be a lot of great work that comes from it. And, and again, it'll sort of underscore how we're all sort of connected and, and, and all of that. The pessimist in me is probably not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'm a hopeful optimist. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate that I've had a, uh, uh, excuse me, a pragmatic roommate and friend um, kind of like set a stage for me and allow me to process it on my, at my own level without being a dick about any of it. Yeah. And, and I think, and that's when I talk about like, we'll need each other to process this is like, I, I don't think I'd be as good as I am if it was not for him. Like that, that's just the real, that's the realness of it. Cause I, my brain would have gone into overdrive and like, you know, doomsday scenario, blah, blah, blah. Stay yeah. in the house. Don't do anything. Just waste away watching Netflix, which is not a bad way to go, I guess. <laughs> there is good shit on Netflix right now. Yeah. yeah. I just watched the first four episodes of Waco. Um, oh, yeah. That's on my list. Yeah. Michael Shannon, dude. Oh, I love Michael Shannon. Yeah. I, I, he is not the prettiest man in the world, but damn it, he's a beautiful actor. Like He's just so in it. He's He just sits there and makes you deal with him. So what else are you watching on Netflix or Amazon? Oh, or I, um, when I need a good laugh, I always go to Parks and Rec. Um, oh, yeah. Ron Swanson is uh, not bad. only the... Not only the mascot of the Daffle, as you know, uh, yeah, that's right. But he is a spirit animal for a lot of us. Um, he makes me want whiskey or, or scotch and bacon, but he also makes me laugh. Dude, everybody on that show is like such a comedic heavy hitter. I mean, I think Rob Lowe's character is hysterical oh, on that show. Um, Rashida Jones was great while she was on there. Obviously, Amy Poehler is just awesome. Um, um, Aubrey Plaza, uh, 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 Aziz Ansari. I mean, yeah, the list just goes John on. Ralphia, like there's the guy who plays John Ralphio. I love. Oh that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they're all so good. So yeah, that's that's. I think that show just gets better and better every time. Mm-hmm. It's the further away we are from it. It okay. got overshadowed for a while from from for The Office, right? Didn't it? The Ooh, Office yeah, kind of totally. overshadowed. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was America's answer to The Office outside of like the the Redux that they put on. Oh, right. The original product. I mean, and that's like, I loved it because it was like, I don't know. It, all of them seemed like uh, more relatable, I guess, like outside of John Krasinski's character in the office. Like he was the only one that I really like. Oh, I like this guy. Yeah. He's my, trying to make sense of everything. Like Dwight. we are as the audience. And I loved him. Dwight but, had his moments. Yeah. I, one of the things I miss that Netflix doesn't have on right now is uh, mystery science theater 3000. Oh man. They did two seasons of it of the new stuff. And I'm like, you you pulled the legs out from under it at the absolute perfect time. There should be 20 episodes right now. Dude, every time MST3K, I that's like in college, man. That was like me and Are the you fellow Misty? Oh, I, I love MST3K. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the earlier stuff. I thought what's the f- there's like a couple of um What's the very, I can't forget what the very first one was. There's, I mean, I can't remember the, the movies. It's the, 
of the plots. But yeah, anyway, I'm I'm gonna try to recall them and I'm totally gonna blank. But yeah, I love that man. Tom Servo. Crow-T Robot? Absolutely. I got Funko Pops Absolutely. of those two guys too. You want to whip those out? Yeah, no. totally. Well, all right, then I'll do it. They're all the way over. <laughs> Now's a good time to remind everyone that um, Susan Remsdorf has, has masks for sale. <laughs> yes. Make sure to email me at the ghost lights at outlook.com. <laughs> there they are. I am a huge. Oh, dude. I had no idea. Yeah. Respect. You just leveled up in my respects. My respect. You know, what, what, what if I show you this thing right now? Because Jordan is happening all the time on ESPN. Oh, dude. Is that like vintage or is that new, like a new thing? A, it, it came out like three years ago. Okay. The Jordan Funko Pop like this. And you I know, bought it. We forget how ridiculous he was and how ridiculous that those Bulls teams were. And again, oh. we're back to sports. So sorry, Ghosties. I've been watching the the documentary and it's just, it's made me feel like a kid again. And it, re, it reminds me of how I, how strongly I felt about that man. Dude, like, I was, I was in the early nineties. I was, um, because Kansas city didn't have a basketball team anymore. And, and you just kind of you know root for whoever, for some reason I gravitated toward the Knicks mm-hmm. and the bulls were all in the early nineties and even mid nineties Knicks, you know, with Alan Houston and John Starks and Patrick Ewing still holding on and, and all those guys like, um, yeah, they were just constantly just getting crushed by the Bulls. But, uh, yeah, good times. Charles Smith, man. Charles Smith, Charles Oakley, the enforcer. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I always wonder now, did Charles Oakley, like, did he kind of like it that Jordan was winning? Because he used to be Jordan's protector in Chicago. Before oh, yeah, him. yeah. He came over in that deal for Bill Cartwright, who Jordan refused to pass to in crunch time. But Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, how about the centers? The Bulls is Bill Cartwright, uh, Luke Longley, uh, Bill Wennington, like all those guys. Like they were just like nobody. A, a washed-up Robert Parrish. Oh yeah, that's right. The last season they had a washed-up Robert Parrish. He was the, his nicknames are the Chief, right? The Chief. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he was yeah. native though. Yeah, I think it's kind of that's why I kind of hesitate. It's kind of like it's not not super. Boss. He was like the boss. They, they call him Chief because he's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no judgments. I, I, I'll let. Him. I, I didn't give him the nickname. I just remember. No, no, no. no you're fine. Yeah, I just. Um, yeah, those are the things I've been watching, trying to, trying to entertain myself as best I can, and wrestling videos. Um, <laughs> yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Wrestling videos? Well, not like, um, like the old timey red underpants, but like, The Undertaker. Oh, you mean the actual sport? Not the <laughs> yes. The entertainment. What I mean by wrestling is the actual, um, like the actual theater that is the WWE. Gotcha, gotcha. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bret the Hitman Hart. I think at the last episode I mentioned those guys. So I apologize, Ghosties at home. And it, it does sometimes get a little redundant on the Ghostlands podcast, but <laughs> keep coming back. You love it. At the end of the day, it all comes back to professional wrestling. It does. Well, well. There's a metaphor in there someplace. Yeah. I, does that, does that mean it is I'm an a, essential business? Does that mean I'm a hammy actor, Dan? That's not why you're a hammy actor. Oh. Okay. Damn. Dan okay. is. Let, let us count the ways. Um, my butt clinches when I'm nervous about a choice on stage. I, I, I like to yell. Cause I think that's how people show that they're angry. Um, 
And you go into the audience and bring a chair on stage and start smacking around your co-act. And I start smacking chair. people around and I do a choke slam every once in a while with a very dramatic flourish. Sweet. I would actually pay to see that on stage. Yeah. Would you? I would pay to see you do that. Only somebody that I know. (laughs) You direct again. You get back up on stage directing and you cast me and we'll work that in. Okay, that'll be the fight call. There'll be an improv section where we'll totally let that go. Yeah, for sure. What was it like directing The Airness, your first directing project? Oh, dude, you know what? I really, I really, really loved it. the, you know, benchmarks, it was, first of all, it was sort of a curveball to, to our, our patrons, right? Um, benchmark shows, it was a departure from what we normally do. And I think everybody that's, that saw it and has seen our other shows knows that. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was such a great experience. We had, the cast was so phenomenal and so fun to work with. And they all just super invested. And, and there was a lot of camaraderie, which always, you know, as you know, makes, makes the rehearsal process that much better. Yeah. Um, the production crew was great. Uh, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, we brought in a couple of actual air guitarists. Um, that, that it's not an occupation, but it's something that they've got devotees. And, um, you know, they helped us, you know, to really refine some of those things and told us what what's good and what's bad. And and honestly, man, you know, it wasn't, it's like I told the cast, it wasn't Hedda Gabler. It's, it's not, you know, um, you know, the Heidi Chronicles. It's not supposed to be that, right? Uh, it's supposed to be fun. But yeah you know, that's not an, that's, that's never an excuse to, to not give what you can over to the character and you have a responsibility to, as an actor to make them as real as possible. And I think with that particular show, it really worked because um, there was this sort of realism, uh, modern realism uh, in terms of acting style that the actors I think really did a good job with. they made, they brought the characters to life and then you contrast that with these over the top air guitar uh, performances and and all the rock music and the cuts and just stuff. It was just it was just a lot of fun. And you know, I it's not. I, I think people that walked in expecting maybe some sort of commentary on society or whatever. I mean, it didn't. It just didn't go there. But sometimes, you know, man, you just there's there's benefits to just doing a show that's a lot of fun. And that's what we did. And so, yeah, I had a blast. I had a blast. It was it was a lot of. Fun. It was a- I, I want to interject here as well. Um, I think the 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 crazy thing about doing a show from your perspective that was just fun, um, is that not every show do you get to connect with the um the community that you're representing on stage, and you brought in those people, and then your actors ended up doing air guitar competitions and one of your actors is doing an international air guitar music video like you guys literally got to like infuse yourself in the actual air guitar community based off of that show which you know not every show gets to do who's doing that that's the man in the box oh i mean who's doing the video yeah who's in the international john John hauser uh developed a video that's being used for the international competition and he had air guitars from all over the country, many of which were in Denver in the, the uh, uh, competition that Dan mentioned, uh, had them do some stuff and he stitched this whole video together and it's awesome. And it's, yeah, it's on the, um, like the USA air guitar site and the, like the international site as well. Like it's, it's awesome. So he did that. And yeah, uh, most of our cast members with the exception of like two or maybe three actually entered into actually you know what that's that's i think there were four entries and three cast members didn't do it but they came to support them at the i think it was three kings uh on broadway 
they had the the Denver Regional Air Guitar Competition, and this happened probably two to three weeks after we closed, and it was like a mini cast reunion all party like we closed the place down uh two of the actors actually made the finals and almost made it to the national competition in new york Um, and yeah the support that we saw from the community and then our 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 actor our local theater community the people there in that show were were so supportive of, of that community and it was just a nice reciprocal thing it's just like like i said it's just one of the shows where it's fun everybody got along there wasn't any drama we had a blast we mm-hmm. met some new people we opened ourselves up to some new communities and became a part of those so it was great that's that's absolutely amazing that's something i had no idea happened after the show closed yeah yeah it was it was fun to kind of have that sort of um that sort of redux of of everything that happened because they came to the cast parties Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as well, and and uh, and actually, the cast after a couple tech rehearsals went drinking with the consultants, and so it was sort of a it was a, it was a, it was a buddy thing. But I have to say, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you, you're. I'm letting you do this talk. No, I was just. Well, I I was just going to say that it's for me. It was. I loved the directing, and I loved, I loved the collaboration. I loved building something together and that sort of spirit of, of we're all trying to, to, to make a great show and pull things together. Mm-hmm. Um, I love working with creative people and I love working with actors. I love exploring, um, you know, choices and, and trying new things. And, and again, just really sort of um, 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 driving and conducting all of that forward. But I, I will say this, it's, I thought this, I, I learned a lot from Warren Cheryl who directed us in quality of life. And I was, you know, in anticipation of this gig was trying to take notes of, of what he did and make men, did and make mental notes. And one of the things I love about Warren as a director is that he doesn't impose his vision on anything. He's very much con- committed to um, not having all of the answers, but making sure that he knows the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very much that, that sort of uh, cultivates a, um, a great collaborative attitude that's really healthy and really um, produces great results. So I tried as, as best I could to emulate that. And but it's it's really funny to it's a different experience, man. An opening night, I remember sitting there going, "I was so nervous, I'm so nervous," and it's like a different nervousness from from you as an actor, right? Because it's like you just you're rooting for everybody, like you're rooting for the stage manager to make the great call, right? And you're rooting for the actors, and you're like looking at the audience, like you're just hoping with everything that you have that they're entertained or they're ha- having a good time or they're enjoying themselves, and um, that sort of nervousness is just and it's crazy, and then it's over. And then you leave it for a while, but there's this weird sort of like satisfaction or comfort to know that it's going on with without you there, and it's growing and evolving and changing as it does as things do during a run. And then visiting it one final time and on on closing night, and then watching it pass. You know, it's just um, it was it was a it was an oddly emotional experience um, for me, um, but I loved it. I'd love to do more of it. That's great, man. I hope you. I hope you do. I was very honored to be there, opening night. I'm glad it hadn't sold out by the time I had gotten there. There was so at least one seat for me, and it was. It was. I. I. Out of all the shows I had seen in 2019, it was like I had the most fun. Like That's I had fun. a lot of fun watching the airness. I mean, it, I really enjoyed a, couple, a whole bunch of shows, but uh, I. Like the participation level for this show was very different, and when you're talking about um when we're talking about comedies i think one of the things that i love like what what gets lost when i say something like a a fluff comedy you still got to be real 
Like you can't bullshit a joke. Totally. Bullshit a joke. It's going to fall flat. So you got to know why these people are doing it. And I, you know, and, and all I laughed throughout that show, there was a lot of heart that wasn't just, you know, spackled on. It was, it was earned and it was thought out and uh, bravo, Mark, you should be really proud. Well, thanks, man. That means a lot coming from you. And and I'm glad I used the word heart because that's exactly what we talked about. It's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not, the subject matter isn't deep, but the characters are real and their motivations are real. And we did our best to reflect those on stage and, and bring honesty to those characters and, and, totally. and make them real people. So yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Of course. Well, I mean, it's, we're buddies. Yeah. But I'm also, we're buddies because I don't like to bullshit you. <laughs> I also appreciate that about you. And I know you see a lot of, a lot of theater around town too. So yeah, I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate oh, it. I'll pass, that, I'll, I'll pass that along to the cast after. Well, that, I hope so. I mean, John is, John is one of my favorite people. So is Damon. And me and Mackenzie work together, and she's been so nice and sweet to me. Um, I, I've not met um, Rakeem before, and he was he was freaking amazing. Oh yeah, so much fun to watch. Yeah, everybody was so good, and like you said, they're all such great people to work with. They all invested of themselves, and it's really funny. One last story before we we leave Ernest. Um, when we did auditions, there was a lot of actors that came in and and auditioned, and um, Stage even I'm sorry. Even some stage managers. Even some stage managers, that's right. Um, and and men in the box. Um, but yeah, I, I totally, um, it's really funny because I asked everybody to do 30 seconds of air guitar. And it's amazing. I've seen some amazing actors in this town who are are, who are freely emote on stage and um, are, are incredible in every way that I could tell is in some ways might have been challenged. And again, I'm not talking about the people that didn't get cast. There were people that, that nailed the air guitar too in the audition, but um, yeah, it was amazing. It's, it takes that, you, you just have to have that, that switch to just go there and just go for it. Right. And it's so, um, and to get outside of yourself, which is a really one of the themes of, of the show itself is the self-acceptance and, and the capacity to not give uh, a flying fuck what anybody else thinks and just to go for it in what you pursue and in the way in which you pursue it. Yeah. And, um, and certainly that, that theme was there, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. The, the people that we had that we ended up with um, not only did they invest and I can't say that enough, but they were so fun. Um, you know, like you said, it was McKenzie, it was Dave, it was Erica, it was Ryan Stack. It was, it was John Hauser. It was, it was Rakeem, you know, it was right. Um, really uh, proud of Ryan. I've, I've watched a lot of this stuff at, that he was doing at the Denver center and you know, what he's been doing with the benchmark the last couple of shows he was there with. I mean, a lot of growth. You, he, he flourished in that role. Yeah. I thought he was great in that role. I thought everybody was great, but um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'll shut up about Aaron I could go on, but um, thank you for the kind words and I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, that's really all we can ask is that you have a good time. When you, yeah. Right? I mean, but it's, it, one of the reasons why I bring it up is it's, it's part of the growth of yourself as the artist. Again, you probably you might have directed before me and you've ever crossed paths, but it's the first time you directed here um, in Colorado, so if, if I'm correct. And yes. it, for, for that, I mean, that's that's something that you that takes it. I don't know. It, when I directed any given Monday, bringing it back to myself, I'm really good at that on my own podcast. That's you but, should. You should. Yeah. But when I, you know, when I did it, it's because I am so often a whole picture guy. It's so hard for me to get specific and 
work on my new detail. It's because I'm always seeing the entire piece. And, and for an actor to see that something like that, a play where there's a lot of different moving pieces, there's different styles of playing a guitar. So they're thusly, there must be different styles to doing air guitar. Oh yeah. Things of that nature. Like, I mean, that, that's all something that's got to be worked at and cultivated. It's not an easy show for a first time director. We and, actually, sorry to interrupt you, Sam, but it's funny oh. that you say that. I was telling somebody um, when I was talking to him um, during the rehearsal process, I was like, you know, this is a lot like directing a musical because we had dedicated, I had dedicated time within the rehearsals built in to work with our consultants and to choreograph things and to run things and to pair people up with different people so we could give feedback. And, um, and yeah, it took a lot of time out of the sort of, you know, what would be considered the dramatic, um, the script time. But um, but yeah, it was it was super challenging. The lights and 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 the, and costumes and making decisions about those things were. I mean, it was yeah, it was it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Well, mission accomplished, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. Of course. Um, I think we're at that time where it's uh, time to hit pepper you with some rapid fire questions. Oh, fun. Okay, pepper me. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it, man. All right. Um, like I said, Rubik's Cube, if there's something that you find too personal, you don't want to answer. Okay. All right, then. Um, where do you get your news from? <laughs> it's really funny. I was going to talk to you earlier when you said this. Um, you, when you mentioned Reddit, I get my news from Reddit. I'm a big Redditor, and uh, I've, I'm on the subreddit, uh, the news subreddit. So I have like a mutual fund of, of news sources. It ranges everything from CNN and New York Times to local affiliates to Huffington Post to Reuters to whatever. So I, I, I get my news from a bunch of different sources. Nice. nice. Yeah. Um, what movie do you feel deserves a sequel? Oh, man. Oh, man. I might have to think about this one. Um, we can come back. Uh, you know what? No. Uh, 12 Monkeys. Ooh. 12 Monkeys. First of all, I'm a huge Terry Gilliam fan as a director, but still like one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, but I loved 12 Monkeys and um, I think it deserves a sequel. Anytime you're dealing with movies that are like um, time travel related, it's, it's either really difficult to do a sequel or prequel or it's really easy given, given the, the freedom. Yeah. The thing about 12 Monkeys though is if I can just geek out for just a sec, this isn't exactly rapid fire, is that it advanced the theory of time travel as a, a predestined thing, meaning that you could go back in time, but you could not change anything that had already happened. Right. So when, when Bruce Willis's character went back in time, he wasn't trying to change or prevent the virus. He was just trying to get a sample of the original virus before it mutated. So they could come up with um, an antidote in the future. Um, what I would like to see is, is a is a, a sequel in which they realize that time travel is not a predestined thing. It's it's more of a, a thing that's um, more close to quantum mechanics, which is there are multiple dimensions that are formed and multiple timelines that are formed based off of a change of established time. And so I'd love to see a sequel in which they went back and and um, they they were visited from another dimension or another time. Um, uh, and and you know, drama ensues. That's a great fucking answer. So yeah, there you go. I just want a fast. I just want a Fast and Furious ten movie. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. It can it can die now. It's fine. I've got enough Blu-rays. It can be over. I think they pumped that well pretty dry. 
<laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> what is your phone uh, wallpaper? Mm. Well, as you might imagine. I'm not going to like this. Is it Patrick Mahomes? It's the God damn it. Collage of oh. chief players underneath the Lombardi, man. <laughs> oh. Sorry, dude. I mean, you know, that's got to be – you can you can edit that out. I've got – I don't know if you can see it, but in the background there, that is George Kittle shrugging off his New Orleans Saints. Sweet. To give me a nice victory. So, I, I, you know. That dude's the real deal. I support your fandom, and he's better than Travis Kelsey. <laughs> Everybody hates Travis Kelsey unless he's on your team. Truth. Truth. Um, like I said, I got a better version. Anyway, moving on. Uh, which living musician, if money were no object, would you pay the most to see? Ooh, uh, that's a good one. You know, I my inclination is to like go through the oldies and figure out who's about to die. You know, for that sort of thing. Like, so I could say I saw them. Um, but honestly, again, a, a further continuation of our earlier discussion. I would probably love to see a Rage Against the Machine reunion. I think they would have a lot of stuff to say about the shit that's happening right now and i would drag my 51 year old ass to a show and mix it up with the with the with the guys in the mosh pit for sure but uh rage against the machine would be good uh the other thing that came to mind was i'm a big pink floyd fan and i've seen roger waters a couple times and it's just like going to a floyd show and then david gilmore goes out and tours uh the same show or not the same show but a, a an equally impressive show i would love for the two of them to get back together um, and do, I think that, I think it would be fantastic, but, um, yeah. There you uh, go. Again, great answers. Those are awesome. Cool. Um, what stupid fact do you still have memorized from school? This could be elementary or middle or whatever comes to mind. <laughs> Dude, where do you get these questions? These are, that's hard. Um, um I stole them from another podcaster who is, uh, dying on the inside as of late. So I just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to capitalize on these. Okay. Yeah. Well, the art of creativity is theft, right? So, well done. Um, that's and an I actual question directed at you. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, oh, you know, you know what? Okay, so this isn't really school, but um, it's school house rock. Um, I'm, I'm, I grew up in the as a child in the '70s. Saturday mornings were appointment television and there was this thing called schoolhouse rock that taught you about the constitution. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen the videos, right? Uh, so one of them was, um, about the constitution and it's the preamble to the constitution. And the only way that I would could ever know that, I don't know, maybe I'm a bad American. Maybe everybody knows this without the cartoon, but I, the only way I know it is the preamble of our constitution is because of that song. You gotta, you gotta hit us with it. Um, we the people in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Woo! Go. Hell yes, that's a banger. Please, please delete that part too. No, that's staying. I asked for that. And it's not inflammatory. It just cool. makes me look adorable. I'm not taking political sides or anything, but yeah, I know no, the preamble. No, I, I totally will. Thank um, you so much. We do not count um, the number 45 anymore. It's I not, love that. It's not exactly. I don't wear the color orange anymore. 
Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of the orange, man. It's not a good look. Unless you're a Bronco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, all the more reason, right? Oh, totally. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Um, what conspiracy theory do you kind of believe the most? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theory, dude. People that believe like we didn't land on the moon or the earth is flat or whatever, I have zero patience for. Um, <laughs> I, you know, even, even 9-11 being an inside job, like all that stuff. I mean, I think probably, I don't know. I, you know, Kennedy. Kennedy? Kennedy, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I could see compelling reasons why that if you if you look, if you I've seen documentaries where they talk about the the marksmanship and bullet ballistics that it would take to do that. And of course, JFK with Costner and all that stuff like back to the left and then Seinfeld. But um, yeah, I don't know. Kennedy, I guess that my friends is one magic loogie. <laughs> um, who is your first celebrity crush? Um, I'd have to say, um, again, as a, as growing up in the seventies, um, even though I had no idea of kind of what was, what was happening, you know, down there at the time, uh, when I watched Charlie's yeah. angels, I was super, super infatuated. Everybody loved Farrah, right. And the poster, I, I was a Jacqueline Smith dude. I, I've always loved brunette and dark, dark haired. And, uh, so yeah, Jacqueline Smith. Raven haired vixens. Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Um, what is your favorite word? I, I probably have a hundred of them, none of which come to mind right now. Oh, um, I said this the other day, discombobulate. Discombobulate. Final answer. Oh, For yeah. lack of, of a better substitute, discombobulate. Nice. And uh, my last also question. Closely followed by kerfuffle. Nobody uses kerfuffle anymore. And I don't no know. No one uses kerfuffle anymore. Do you use it regularly? Uh, only when I can think about it and work it into a sentence, but that's a lot of effort. So <laughs> well, that's, that's so, pretty, I like, I like the word caddy wampus. My mom gave me caddy wampus. Caddy wampus is good. Yeah. And caddy wampus will stay with me probably for the rest of my life. It'll be one of those. That's a momism and I'm keeping it. A gift from mom. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. A, a, along with a great host of other things that she gave me, but uh, not, not the least of which to mention is my dulcet tones. <laughs> podcast you're listening to on the light fm um before we head out what is the ghost light that you want to leave on for the next um the next phase of our reality the ghost light that we want to live in the next phase of our reality wow dude we go from kerfuffle to the next phase of reality um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes there's not very good segues that you can come up with without sounding like a cliche, and I do that enough during my podcast. So it's best to just keep you on your toes. This is how we grow, Mark. Yeah. Well, it's definitely mental gymnastics. Um, it's a different headspace. Um, the ghost light I want to leave for the next reality. Are you talking specifically about or the next phase of our reality? Oh boy. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, again, I think I, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a pessimist than I was in my younger years. And I, I do think that, um, while I hope that there is lasting change and all the stuff that we talked about at the beginning of this thing that it's, I mean, it's like nine 11, nine 11 brought us together for a couple of months, a couple yeah, six months or a year. And then now we're more divided than we've ever been. 
exactly. So, um, I mean, I don't know, just remember what it's, <laughs> just take a moment to consider before you are critical of someone or when hatred wells up inside you or um, when, when someone cuts you off on the road, take a moment to consider maybe, you know, what they've been through. Um, I like that. Maybe they lost somebody, um, you know, was close to them or maybe, um, you know, just remember that we're all sort of um, written down on the same list, right? So, um, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'll end on a pessimistic note. I don't think that's going to happen. No, I, I, I'm hopeful that's what what's comes from this is that there's some sense of connectedness that comes from this that will transcend politics or skin color or whatever um i'm i'm hopeful i'm hopeful to, to hearken back to something you had mentioned earlier in the podcast and I, and i and i and i will try and make this as um, an uplifting note as i possibly can what do we crave? please do let's end on a positive note what do we crave the most as artists we we crave a collective experience yes yes to walk out of the room that we shared with 50 other people or more in the same heartbeat same wavelength there was no denying that this moment in american history has put the vast majority of us in the exact same boat and while it has affected different it has while it has affected people differently across the board i mean african americans wearing masks to protect themselves are still being hunted and they're being ridiculed that is different than what I go through when I walk down the street. Or shot down. Or shot down taking a job. Cold Absolutely. fucking blood. Yep. Yeah. So we need to sit back and we need to acknowledge that this has happened to all of us. The people who are working essential jobs now have to wear masks every moment of their lives. They cannot go to work without it. It affects us all. And because we know that it affects us all, we're finally on the same playing field. We're all equal now. This is the time to hold each other's hands and get through this together. We're at the very least an elbow bump because the truth remains. We are not in this alone. Yeah. We are yeah. all created equal. And if you didn't know that before, you better get in fucking line now. Okay. Yeah. And well that being said, this is the Ghost Lights Podcast, episode 50, with my main man, Mark Stith, the Stith one. The Chiefs fan, yeah, that's that's something to, to deal with at another time. <laughs> also a good person. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you had fun listening to this. I hope that we, we, we put some things in perspective for you. I hope that we made you think. And um, I hope that you will contact Susan Ramsdorf, Terry, to get your masks made, $10 a piece. Um, um, we will, we will stay with you through this podcast, through this, through this pandemic. We're not going away anytime soon. Um, please go out there and support the COVID-19 theatrical response team. And, uh, to hearken back to a point that Mark had made earlier, I, I, there might be a rebrand in the future. I don't know, but maybe we get rid of that, that, Sweet. that, that, that beginning nomenclature. Otherwise, <laughs> we love you ghosties. The song is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. The man is Mark Stith. Um, when you can, go out and support local theater again. In the meantime, do something nice for somebody. It will make you feel good. Dan, do the damn thing. Mm -hmm.
Thank you.